This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Tonic, heard Saturday afternoons at 1 on Zoomer Radio. The following is a sponsored program. Zoomer Radio and MZ Media Incorporated do not endorse any of the statements or opinions made by the contributors. If you build a building for the long term, you want to maintain it. But all of a sudden, legislation changes and you can't get rent increases to keep in line with the escalating expenses and to maintain the building properly. And too many people are forced into becoming low-cost operators. Number one, there was no supply. But number two, there was no ability to increase rents. So we were at a standstill for a very long time. Welcome to The Tonic. I'm your host, Jamie Busson, and we're here to talk about your health and wellness-related issues. On today's show, we're going to learn why there are so few new apartment buildings in Toronto. Also, we're going to talk about the sex trade in Canada. And lastly, the natural treatment of allergies. But first, a little bit of business. Support for today's show comes from the Benvenuto Group. The Benvenuto Group is an owner and developer of quality high-rise condominium and rental properties in Toronto and Montreal. The Benvenuto team is passionate about delivering quality living spaces, top lifestyle amenities, important services, and innovative design tailored specifically to its residents in every particular submarket. The Benvenuto Group is currently designing several new projects in Toronto, Montreal, and Chicago that will not only become exceptional places to live as an owner or as a renter, but will deliver some of the highest levels of sustainability, energy efficiency, and comfort, and will set a standard for informed residents. I'd like to welcome our first guest, Mitchell Abrahams. He's the principal of the Benvenuto Group. He's a real estate professional with over 25 years of commercial and multifamily residential real estate experience. He's converted apartments into condominiums and developed condominium and apartment projects. Welcome back to The Tonic. How are you? I'm doing well. So, you know, for the last several months, we've talked about putting together an apartment building. And part of the reason we're talking about new apartment building stock is because Toronto really doesn't have a lot of it. We're in a bit of a bind. And I know you have a lot of insights into this. How did we get to the space where there isn't enough adequate rental housing in Toronto? First of all, Toronto does have a lot of it. It doesn't have a lot of it in the last uh, 30 or 40 years. Right. It's an aging stock. When I say adequate, I mean modern. I I, I, I mean new. I agree completely. And and it's hard to believe how much the city has grown without having apartment buildings to grow along with it. Well, people have been using the condos for this purpose, right? I mean, you know, people own condos, but a lot of them are being rented out. Absolutely. There are lots of good reasons for it, and it's been a great investment for a lot of people. But it is a bit of a window into the fact that the apartment industry is a hard one to work your way through. It doesn't always make sense. And uh, over the years, it's been a hard business for people to feel comfortable getting involved in. Why is that? In the 60s and 70s, when the city was growing and transit was growing and the city was reorganizing itself around transit nodes, there was legislation in place that made sense for people to build new apartment buildings. And as the city continued to grow and rents continued to escalate, there was a fair bit of a pressure from both uh, renters and from the political side for people to say, we've, we've got to put a stop to the escalation of rents. Well, rents weren't escalating beyond what was necessarily affordable by people, but it was moving up in percentages. And as you know, it doesn't take much 
for people to get nervous that rents are going to run away from the market. So rent controls got put in place and really shut down the industry for a long, long time. I call it the law of unintended consequences, right? So they're they're trying to control the market by making it cost efficient, but then they cut off the supply because who's going to build if you can't make money from the project? Correct. But the, you know, in the 70s, we had even more of a stranglehold than that. You know, when you cut off supply, you would expect rents to escalate. Right. So then what happened was that further legislation came in place that constrained the growth of rents. So that makes it even worse because what happens is people who own apartment buildings feel like they're stuck with them. And they, they you know, no one builds an apartment building with the intent of wanting to be a slumlord. There may be people who buy apartment buildings over time with that strategy. But right. if you build a building for the long term, you want to maintain it. But all of a sudden, legislation changes and you can't get rent increases to keep in line with the escalating expenses and to maintain the building properly. And too many people are forced into becoming low-cost operators. So it was a double whammy. Number one, there was no supply. But number two, there was no ability to increase rents. So we were at a standstill for a very long time. And I think a big part of that, you know, we, we saw before a condo industry growth, we saw show up in terms of urban sprawl. People kept moving further and further from the city and to suburban markets, which some people think is a great thing because people got to own single family homes. But at the same time, we saw where it doesn't add up. Right, exactly. With traffic, time, space allocation not being efficient. Correct. Uh, Transit not being built and not being viable so that, you know, it, it takes time until people need to take a leap and say, you know what, we want people living in the city. We want to make use of the services and the, the whole social aspect of living in a, in a vibrant metropolis. So let's start investing in intensification. Let's start investing in transit. Let's, it's virtuous, right? I mean, wh- once you do one, there are more people. They demand more good restaurants and fun places to go. And then it becomes a more fun place to live. And downtown Cora, as you know, in the 90s was broken. No, right. At 7 o'clock at night, you could roll up the sidewalks in downtown Toronto. It's very different today. It is. And I, I would suspect that another impediment would be sort of nimbyism, right? I, I mean, to if you're living in a single family dwelling, you don't necessarily want an apartment that's being erected in your in your neighborhood, right? Because it affects property values. And I'm sure there's some of that too. I think there's some of it. It depends on what locations. Some areas are targeted for intensification. And there's very little loss of single family neighborhoods in Toronto to high rise. Okay. There still is concern in urban nodes we call them the growth centers as per the provincial plan, where there's a lot more traffic and the people living on the fringe of it are concerned that their neighborhood's changing. I'm not sure how much that is true. I think in a lot of ways, the urban centers where there is a lot of height bring with it a lot of positive change as well. So so, what, so if that's true, if, if it was, is it just rent control that essentially changed the landscape or were there other factors that sort of prevented people from building? Rent control had a huge impact. Also, we went through a period, as you remember, through the 80s and 90s where interest rates were incredibly high. Right. Right. So uh, the economy was a tough one for people to take the risk of building something with the concerns about legislation and, you know, not being able to make the numbers work. The first step into it, of course, was the condo market because you don't take the same risk. You take the risk of investing in one unit rather than 300 units. So incrementally, people became single family uh, sort of uh, homeowners or single apartment homeowners renting out their units and proving that there was a depth of market for people to pay rents that made sense. And over a number of years of that, rents have come to a level where we're finally at a point where you can make sense of 
building some apartment buildings. And, and I want to be clear, you can't make sense of building apartment building in any corner across the GTA. We're still at a point where rents in many parts of town aren't high enough to support new construction, which is why we're not seeing it all over the place. People are picking and choosing locations where they think they can make the numbers work. It's going to take time for either rents across the board to increase or for governments to find ways to incent people like they do in different markets to make the numbers work in different locations. Do you think government could do more to encourage apartment building? Of course. I think there are win-wins uh, or win-win-wins. I think there are wins for... for Win, protect- W-I-N. Oh, there you go. Well, uh, now we're getting too <laughs> political for me. But when you talk about, you know, for people looking for good apartments, of which there are many because we have a 1% vacancy rate, for governments looking to build quality housing without runaway rents and for developers to build good buildings and make a fair return, I think there's a lot that people could be working on together to come up with a plan. And like in most things, it's not rocket science. We just have to go look at other places where these different pieces are functioning and figure out how we work together to do that. Fantastic. Thanks for coming in today. My pleasure. Uh, We'll have you back in the summer and we'll discuss more about the urban living in Toronto. Look forward to it. Thanks again. I'd like to give a shout out to our sponsor, Purica. Purica wants you to turn its protein into your power. A blend of the finest vegan protein and the antioxidant powerhouse that is the pure chaga mushrooms. Purica Power features ingredients and enzymes designed to optimize digestion and absorption. Unlike many protein powders, Purica Power tastes great with water and mixes easily. It's available in chocolate, vanilla, and natural unflavored. From the Purica family to yours, Purica Power is a new way to make the most of every day. It's all part of the Purica commitment to making a positive difference in the lifestyle of its customers. Ask your favorite health food store for Purica Power Vegan Protein or visit Purica.com. Purica, nature, science, you. Hi, this is Jamie Busson. I'm not only the host of The Tonic, I'm also the host of OMTO, Toronto's best free outdoor yoga festival. Imagine taking as many as nine free yoga classes in the beautiful distillery district with hundreds of people just like you. All you need to do is bring your yoga mat and your good intentions. Please join us at the Distillery District on Sunday, June 24th. For more information, please visit omto.ca. See you there. This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. Carlisle Jansen is the founder of Good For Her, Toronto's premier sexuality shop and workshop centre in Toronto. And she's also the producer of the Toronto International Porn Festival. She's the author of two books, including Sex Yourself. Watch her TEDx Toronto talk and educational videos at carlislejansen.com. To reach out, it's carlisle at goodforher.com. Carlisle also writes a sexual health column in Tonic Magazine. Welcome back to The Tonic. Hi. In the June issue uh, of the magazine, you wrote a great article about sex work in Canada uh-huh. and how it exists now and what regulation models and other countries utilize. Yeah. So uh, starting at the beginning, when you refer to sex work, what do you mean? I'm talking about being paid in exchange for sexual services, whether that's over the phone, whether that's in person, whether that is in a club, uh, whether it's in a hotel uh, or someone's home. And when we talk about sex workers, I think 
think you know people have their their visions of who that is, right? But the reality is is very different than how it's portrayed in the media. Who who are sex workers? Well, we think of people who work the streets, which is definitely a population of sex workers. And but there are also lots of people that you wouldn't know who are sex workers, uh, right. who are working out of their homes, um, who are working in communities with with other people supporting each other. So you don't know necessarily who is and who is not a sex worker, and lots of them are active in politics, are parents, they're your neighbors, they're people who are doing community activism, who are you know part of the community in lots of different ways. Right. So we have a current paradigm in this country, which sort of governs how, I'll use the word regulation, but that's probably a misnomer, but, mm-hmm. but, but how is the sex trade for our purposes, regulated in Canada? So what happened in, uh, gosh, I think it was 2016, was a new law was introduced called the, referred to as the Nordic model because it's used in Sweden and Norway. Mm -hmm. And it's where the sex worker is not criminalized, but the person paying for the services is. So that was um, deemed by the Harper government to be a way of protecting in particular people who are trafficked in terms of criminalizing the people who are using the services in hopes that it would reduce crime as well as sex work in general. So, and and is that successful? I mean, has there been enough time to judge whether or not the the change in the paradigm is actually achieving those goals? So, I'm not, I haven't seen any studies out of Canada, but certainly the studies on the Nordic model, because that's been in place for a long time, have shown that it has not decreased the amount of sex work. It has not decreased the amount of trafficking that happens and actually makes life much more unsafe for people working, especially people who are marginalized, especially people who are trafficked, people who are um, trans, people who are people of color, people who are poor, indigenous, all of those populations tend to have it even worse after these laws are introduced because they can't go to the police. And they uh, people will say, well, you know, you're just a sex worker. What do you mean? What, what kind of choice do you have? It's violent anyways. And it's not inherently violent, but people don't take them seriously. And it also means that they're now pushed to the margins. So they know that the people that they're trying to, that they need the services from, are worried about getting caught. So they are doing it in places where law enforcement can't find them, in back alleys. They're doing it fast. They can't assess the safety of the situation. They have to make snap decisions really quickly. This is especially people working the streets. They It makes it a lot less safe for them. Um, and it also brings sort of the middlemen in um, who are there to sort of bring the gap between the workers and the clients, which means that the workers are getting paid less and there's a little bit less control for them as well. But before the Nordic model, that was still the case too, right? When 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 the when the sex workers were criminalized, they they still had those issues, did they not? They still had those issues, uh, some of the issues. Uh, okay. They still had some of the issues, um, and uh, so this was supposed to be better. There was a there was a Supreme Court challenge that said that life is not good for sex workers. We need to protect their rights, um, and so this is what the Harper government brought in. Whereas what uh, they the workers themselves were asking for was the New Zealand model, where it's decriminalization right. in general. And what are the pros and cons of that model? So that the pros of those models is that people can work together. They can um, go to law enforcement and say, um, you know, I'm not being treated well by my employer. Um, they're 
allowed to refuse services, to work with a certain client if they want to. They're allowed to ask for whatever safer sex supplies they want. They've even, there's been cases where people have charged their employer for not providing them with their rights. There are people who have taken, called the police and they have escorted the client to the bank machine so that they will pay them. So they're, they're taken a lot more seriously. They can access safer resources such as law enforcement to protect them because they're taken seriously. And what the government does also is they provide social security if they decide to exit the sex trade. And what that means is that if they decide, you know what, this isn't for me anymore, they can access support services so that they can make an exit out of it. And presumably there's no uh, middleman slash pimp slash purveyor. So... When you cut that out, then you're getting rid of that potential for for risk to harm to the workers, too. Correct. And people can work for an organization if they want. They can work for a brothel. They can work as a group, as a as a cooperative uh, and and work together. Uh, they can hire someone uh, to drive them. Whereas in, Tr- in Canada now, if you are a driver or you help a sex worker in any way, you're seen as aiding and abetting and you are also criminalized. Okay. Well, thank you for coming in today. It's a pleasure. Uh, Next month, let's talk about something a little bit different. How about the myth of sexual normalcy? Sounds great. Terrific. We've got to take a short break, but when we return, we're going to learn about the natural treatment of allergies on the tonic. I'd like to give a shout out to our new sponsor, Omega Alpha. This company is 100% Canadian owned. Their team consists of allopathic and naturopathic doctors, nutritionists, researchers, and other scientific professionals, all led by their CEO, Dr. Gordon Chang. Formulations are created on their 40,000-square-foot facility located in Toronto. Omega Alpha uses only the highest quality ingredients to manufacture the most efficacious yet price-friendly nutraceuticals. For more information about Omega Alpha, visit OmegaAlphaInc.com. Hey everybody, I just wanted to take this opportunity to give a shout out to one of our sponsors, Purely Natural. They're fourth generation master herbalists. It's a family owned Canadian company that's been in business for over 100 years. They've been working with my company, Tonic Magazine, for over 10 years, and its principal, Joel Thuna, has been writing our fantastic preventative medicine column for over seven years. They're one of the original sponsors for the OMTO Yoga Festival. The company is certified GMP, kosher, and organic. For more information about Purely Natural, please visit their website, purelynatural.com. Hi, I'm Jamie Busson, and I'm the publisher of Tonic Magazine and the host of The Tonic. I just wanted to remind you that The Tonic Talk Show is brought to you by Tonic Magazine. Tonic is a health and wellness publication that I've been putting out for over 10 years. We're available free on racks at over 200 locations across the GTA and delivered with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in 11 choice neighborhoods, all in Toronto. You can learn more about the magazine by visiting our website, tonictoronto.com. And if you ever miss an episode of The Tonic, you can also hear it there. You're listening to... The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. My next guest is naturopathic doctor Jody Larry. For over a decade, Jody has brought hundreds in Toronto back to life by sharing her passion and experience of what living holistically really looks like. Through her busy private practice, wellness studios, and corporations, Jody shares her philosophy about clean, wholesome diets and self care practices that inspire mind, body, health, and well being. Welcome back to The Tonic, Jody. Hi, thank you so much for having me. 
I think there's only two seasons in Toronto, cold mm-hmm. and allergy. True. And you're here to talk about the latter, right? Yes, for sure. And especially since summer is happening in May, a lot of people are starting to feel symptoms right away. Right. So uh, I know we've discussed this before, but you see a connection between food and systemic allergies. So why do you explain that? Okay. So allergies are um, obviously an allergic reaction, which also have um, a foundation in inflammation. Right. Okay. So when people suffer from allergies, it's usually an inflammatory response, but a maladaptive inflammatory response. So um, itchy eyes, watery eyes, a lot of congestion, a lot of mucus, post-nasal drip, et cetera. And it can really make people feel awful, which sucks when they're supposed to be, you know, enjoying the summer season. Or recording radio segments for them. Exactly. So um, do you suffer from allergies? I do. Okay. Do you take anything? I try not to because I don't like taking anything at yeah. all, uh, but it's completely seasonal. And this time of year, it's at the beginning of the summer, mm-hmm. end of May, beginning of June, and then again in August when I yeah. really get hit. I used to have allergy shots when I was a kid, but I don't get them anymore. Okay. So there is a huge connection with diet, and the reason being is that anything that is going to breed inflammation in the body is going to worsen your allergies. Oh. So, for example, uh, sugar, refined sugar, which Mm -hmm. has a direct inflammatory response in the body, it increases cortisol, it increases inflammation, is definitely going to worsen allergy symptoms. So when people are suffering in those seasons, sort of spring and and the summer, fall, you really, really, really want to be conscious of not putting too much refined sugar into your system because that's going to worsen your symptoms. And you're talking about added sugar at this point, right? The natural sugars that occur in, in, in the foods we eat, such as fruits. Yeah, I'm not, not talking about the sugar in an apple. I'm talking more about, you know, sugar you'd put into your coffee, um, a white bagel, you know, candy, chocolate, etc. Are there any other foods that we should avoid that cause inflammation? So the main food that you want to avoid for inflammation and allergy specifically, especially if you have a type of allergy that causes a lot of mucus and phlegm, so if you're congested or you have post-nasal drip or your nose is running a lot, Mm -hmm. dairy is the worst thing for that. I knew you were going to say that. Yeah. Dairy is very phlegmatic in general. Yes. Um, it, it happens to be a very phlegmatic substance. So whenever you're suffering from anything and there's phlegm or mucus involved, you do not want to have any dairy in your system. So I would instruct anyone um, through the whole allergy season and actually about two weeks to a month before mm-hmm. to completely eliminate dairy. And why I say two weeks to a month before is because um, you want to prepare your system. And if you get the dairy out, then your system, there won't be a lot of phlegm and mucus there so that when the allergies come, it'll be more dried up. So you really want to sort of prevent and prepare for the allergy season with your diet as well. So but definitely to, no dairy at all throughout. You have to get in front of it then. Yes, you have to get in front of it. For and, sure. and what you're saying, which is very sad, is no ice cream because that has sugar and no. dairy ice cream. Although um, they do have a lot of uh, refined sugar-free and dairy-free ice cream. One of my favorite uh, brands is a brand called Coconut Bliss, which is a coconut-based, you know, ice cream alternative. It's sweetened with agave nectar, so there's no refined sugar, and it's made from coconut milk, and they have a lot of different flavors, and it's actually really a nice product. 
I thought you were going to say Halo Top for a second. No, I don't know much about that, to be honest. This, I know, is, like, there's six ingredients. It's really good quality. There's no nothing processed. There's no... I, I think there is still refined sugar in that Halo uh, Top. Is it? Okay. So, sugar, you want to avoid with allergies. Dairy, you definitely want to avoid... A heavy gluten products also because of the inflammation you want to avoid. And then if you are a ragweed sufferer, you am. also want to avoid all ragweed. Yep. Um, so things like chamomile tea, um, sunflower seeds, actually iceberg lettuce, those kinds of things, which you would not maybe think too much about, you also want to avoid. What's the connection between lettuce and ragweed? So they're iceberg lettuce, sunflower seeds, chamomile dandelion, they're all actually part of the ragweed family. I didn't know that. Yeah. So they will worsen. If you're allergic to ragweed, they will worsen it. So like drinking a chamomile tea is the worst thing you can do for your allergies. I don't even like chamomile. That's not an issue, but I do have sunflower seeds yeah, and, and I have salad. Sunflower seeds also come from ragweed, the ragweed family, as well as um, iceberg lettuce. Huh. Yeah. Okay. So you'd want to avoid that whole group um, of foods as well. And then you know, not, it's not just about avoiding. There's also a lot of foods that you can bring in that will help. I was going to ask you, so what, what, what can people take if they're suffering from allergies? Okay, so my favorite supplements um, when people are suffering, I really don't want people dependent on the reactant and the Benadryl and yep. the Claritin and all that stuff because they can actually have um, a worsening effect. So they'll dry you up, but then your body will sort of compensate by producing more. They also can have a lot of, you know, lethargy symptoms, etc. Yep. So I usually recommend, and again, two weeks before you start suffering or right away, you know, when you start suffering. My favorite product is something called Quercetin, mm -hmm. Q-U-E-R-C-E-T-I-N. The brand I like is Thorn, although any good quality brand is fine. And Quercetin actually helps to block the allergy receptors. It's an anti-inflammatory specific for allergies. And you'd want to take about one capsule two to four times a day, depending on how bad your allergies are. And it's fantastic. Are there any other supplements that you would recommend? Yes. I also like working with homeopathic remedies. So there's a lot of combination homeopathics specifically for allergies. Boiron, B-O-I-R-O-N, they're a, a manufacturer and they have Quebec. combinations yep. for different symptoms. So for example, you know, they have for people who suffer more with the eyes, they'll have a, a combination homeopathic for that. For people who just have sort of runny nose, itchy throat, they'll have a combination homeopathic just for that. Um, and they're great, great, great products and absolutely no side effects. So I find if people can avoid the dairy, the gluten, the sugar, if they can take the quercetin and one of these combination homeopathic remedies, you know, they really will suffer a whole lot less. Well, that's fantastic advice. Thank you for coming in today. Okay, thank you. And uh, next month when you come back, you're going to talk about keeping healthy through the summer season. Is that yeah. right? We look forward to hearing from you. Okay, take care. Thanks. And thank you for listening to The Tonic. You can download this episode as a podcast on zoomerradio.ca and thetonic.ca. For articles written by Carlisle Jansen, be sure to pick up your copy of Tonic Magazine. Tonic's available on racks at over 200 locations across the GTA and delivered with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in 11 choice neighbourhoods in Toronto. Or you can visit our website at tonictoronto.com. Please join us next week on the show when we'll discuss, among other things, how mindfulness can help us cope with anxiety and buy it or make it recipes. Until then, this is Jamie Busson wishing you a healthy and happy week. 
Please consult a healthcare professional before starting any diet, exercise, supplementation, or medication program. This has been a paid announcement. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.